Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. friends, Elisa Childers here. Today I'm starting something new called Apologetics 101, where I'm going to walk through the basics, everything from arguments for the existence of God all the way through to the truthfulness of Christianity. So if you want to learn apologetics, but you're not sure where to start, or you just want to brush up on the basics, you've come to the right place. One of the most common questions I get is, where do I start? Often people will hear a presentation about apologetics or they'll watch a debate and they'll feel that initial sense of excitement and, and want to know where to start. And that's a hard question, actually, because learning apologetics is sort of like opening a can of worms that has a million can of worms inside of it. So you start investigating one question and it raises 50 other questions. And then every one of those raises 50 other questions. And you can feel really overwhelmed really quickly. And so often I'll recommend a book, but not everybody learns that way. So I just thought, why not just take a few weeks on the podcast and walk through just the basics. And this will not be a consecutive series. It's not going to be like five or six weeks in a row. But every time you see the Apologetics 101 in the title, then you'll know that it's a part of the series. So today, we're just going to do a basic intro. What apologetics is, some misconceptions. We're going to talk about why we do apologetics as Christians, why we should we're going to talk about what the Bible says about it. So just get to get a, a real basic intro. But before we get into that, I want to let you know about some fun stuff we have coming up on the podcast, because I'm really excited about some of the guests we have coming up. The first thing I wanted to talk about is a uh, long time ago, back when I had Clay Jones on my podcast to talk about the problem of evil, how could a good God allow evil? We had actually recorded a second episode about the Canaanite conquest. And uh, for anybody who follows me on social media, uh, I posted a few months back that my computer was stolen. 
And thankfully, just about everything I had on that computer was backed up. But one of the things I lost, unfortunately, was that one episode that I'd recorded with Clay Jones about the Canaanite conquest. And I was thinking about how we had Paul Copan on the, the last week to talk about the Old Testament, and he was talking about his hyperbolic interpretation of the Canaanite conquest, that some of the ancient war texts, uh, it was very common that when you would use language like, we are going to utterly destroy them or say things like that, that it was commonly understood to be hyperbole. Now, Clay Jones disagrees with that interpretation. And so I emailed uh, Clay this week and asked if he'd be willing to come on and try to re-record that episode we lost. And so he graciously agreed to do that. So what uh, I'm, I'm excited because it'll give us all kind of both of their perspectives uh, to help with our thinking on that issue. So that's coming up. I've got Marsha Montenegro coming up, who used to be a New Age astrologer, like a professional a practitioner of astrology in the new age community. And she came to Christ. And so I've recorded two episodes with her, which are fascinating. And I can't wait for you to hear those. I've got an episode with Peter Gurry from Phoenix Seminary coming up. He's uh, got his PhD from Cambridge, and he has got some great information to share with us about how we can know that the New Testament documents that we have are accurate and how accurate are they? And maybe readjusting the way we think about this in a, in some ways. And so that's coming up. I've got Chelson Vicari coming up. I've got Rebecca Valerius coming up. Got so many great things coming up. Oh, and the other thing is I've got a couple more episodes with Clark Bates on misinterpreted misinterpreted Bible verses. And that continues to be a really popular series on this podcast. And so we're going to talk about several different verses and that should be fun. So great stuff coming up, exciting stuff, fun stuff. So stay tuned for all of that. So now to get into an intro to apologetics. I think that the word apologetics is often very badly misunderstood it runs the gamut from maybe somebody who's never heard of it and they think we're apologizing for something. Or for others, it conjures images of stuffy professors or maybe even uh, angry debates and people just getting heated online and getting their blood pressure up and fighting about things that don't really matter. I think that can be a misconception. Uh, and, and I should say, not all of these are misconceptions. That kind of stuff does exist, of course. And, uh, but, but I think promoting the true definition of apologetics and why we do it and the heart behind it will help us to keep from becoming that way, to be, you know, keep us from becoming argumentative and uh, angry and fearful and all of these things when we talk with other people. And then I think another misconception about apologetics is that sometimes I think there has been in different periods of history an over-focus on the intellectual, just as there have been in periods of history an over-focus on the emotional and the feelings part and the experience part. And I think we're in a period of history right now in the church that that kind of experience-based, feeling-based faith is what's really dominating. And so that's why I think it's important that we do look at the intellectual. But for those who, who lived through a period where maybe it was just really dry and everything was intellectual, they're shying away from apologetics because they don't want to become that way. And I get that. I wouldn't want to become that way either. So what is apologetics? 
apologetics is just basically something you say or something you write that justifies why you believe something. Uh, so it's using logic, reason to make a case for what you believe to be true. And in Christian apologetics, this is going to involve a lot of different disciplines. It involves science, archaeology, cosmology, physics, logic, philosophy, theology, history, any discipline that helps make the case that Christianity is true. And Christian apologetics can be kind of summarized into two parts. So number one, one half of the equation here is the objective reasons that Christianity is true and the evidence that you bring to show that Christianity is true or that it corresponds to reality. And the second part of that equation is the communication of that truth to the world. So you have the actual evidence, you have the, the facts, you have the information, and then you have the way that you communicate that information to your neighbor, to your family, to the people who are in your life. It's, it's the, the way you go about doing that. So that's kind of the two pieces of the pie there. And so the question we have to ask about apologetics is why is it important? Why does it even matter to us as Christians? Uh, you might be listening to this thinking, my faith is solid. I love Jesus. I read my Bible. I pray. I don't really need this. Why, why would I need it? Well, number one, we need it because the Bible says we need it. It matters because the Bible says that it matters. And where we get the command, the biblical command to do apologetics is from 1 Peter 3.15. And in this verse, uh, the apostle Peter is addressing some early Christians who were being persecuted in Asia Minor, which is a province of the Roman Empire. And so he writes to these persecuted uh, Christians. He says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So notice there in that verse, we see those, that, those two parts that we talked about just a second ago. He says, be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's within you. That's the information and the facts and the evidence and then he says, yet yeah, do it with gentleness and respect. And then that's the, the way we communicate that information to the people around us. So it's interesting to note here that the Greek word that's used here for the word defense that's translated into English as defense is the word apologia. And that's actually in the context of the Roman world there, that's a courtroom term. So if you were accused of a crime you would have the opportunity to come and give an apologia to try to make the case that you are innocent. So an apologia is a defense. It's a speech or a reasoned statement or an argument why something is true. And another Bible verse that's really interesting and I think really ties in with apologetics is 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. And this is the famous spiritual warfare verse. We all know this. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience 
when your obedience is complete. Now, notice all of the words in this passage that have to do with the mind, with thoughts, with what we think, which really has everything to do with truth. So, so listen to this again with that in mind. Uh, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. We destroy arguments, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. So this is all, apologetics is a battle of the mind. So I would argue that apologetics is biblically mandated, but it's also a part of spiritual warfare. Another verse that ties apologetics in is Acts 6, 8 through 10. This is the famous story about Stephen, the first martyr of the early church. And uh, this verse says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedom, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Sicilia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Now go back to our mandate verse, uh, 1 Peter 3.15. Notice that Stephen is doing both of those parts. He's got the information and the facts, and then he he's presenting in a way that was very convicting to them because they said they weren't able to cope with both the wisdom, which is again, the facts, the information, the, the, the reasons and the spirit with which he was communicating that. So that's the way he was communicating. And interestingly, who really nailed this on the head was Charles Spurgeon, who is sometimes called the Prince of Preachers. And he lived in the mid to late 1800s. And just as a side note, if you're not familiar with Spurgeon, just so much of his stuff is free online. You can read his sermons. You can read uh, letters he wrote to young pastors. It's, it's all just pretty amazing stuff. But here's what he said in a sermon about Stephen. This is so cool. He said, we see him defending the faith against a synagogue of subtle philosophical deniers of the truth. These with their allies made a valiant deacon the object of their attack. And he at once rose to be an irresistible witness for the gospel. Stephen the deacon became Stephen the preacher. This holy man not only used such gifts as he had in one department, but having abilities for a more spiritual form of service, he laid them at once upon the altar of Christ. Nor is this all he had a higher promotion yet, when he had thus become Stephen, the wise apologist and brave defender of the faith." I, don't you love that? I love that, that Charles Spurgeon said that, but he recognized what Stephen was doing there as doing really good biblical apologetics. Of course, there's the famous scene of Paul practicing apologetics when he reasoned with the secular philosophers in Athens in Acts 17, and then also with the Jews and the Greeks in the synagogues in Acts 18. And what's really interesting is that when we talk about him reasoning with the philosophers in Athens, verse 34 down at the end of chapter 17 says, some men joined him and believed. So he didn't just go in there and give a bunch of information and nothing happened. It actually says that some of them were persuaded. They actually ended up putting their trust and their faith in Christ. And so I would also argue that apologetics is a part of evangelism. So it's biblically mandated, it's a part of spiritual warfare, and it's a part of evangelism. 
And also it's modeled to us, not only by Paul and by Peter, but by Jesus. Jesus argued with the Pharisees all the time using logic techniques. Uh, Jesus himself values worshiping God and loving God with your mind. So in Mark 12, 30, he said, you shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. So how do you love God with your mind? Well, you do that by thinking, right? If you're going to love God with your mind, it means knowing some information, studying to show yourself approved. And I think that often we don't love him with our minds enough. We're really good at loving him with our hearts. We're really good at loving him with our souls and, and some of us even with our strength. But I think that we're, like I said, we're in a period of history where we're, not, we're just not that good at loving him with our mind. And I think that we can all do a little better. And so I would also argue that apologetics is a part of worship. It's what we, you know, worship is what you ascribe worth to. Everybody, Tim Keller gave a great sermon on this. Everybody's worshiping something. And we, every facet of our lives is focused on something. For some people, it's entertainment. All of their money, all of their thoughts, all of their energy goes into entertainment. For others, it's their you know, material goods, all of their, their bank account, all of their energy, all of their time is, is going to that first. So whatever's the most important thing, that's what everybody's worshiping. And if God is the most important thing to us and we want to worship him, then we want to do that with every facet of our being. That's what we want our bank account and our time and our energy to testify of is that we are worshiping God above all other things. And apologetics is a part of that because loving God with your mind and taking in information that is truth, that helps other people in their walk of faith and helps ourselves in our walk of faith is, is helping to turn all of our energy toward Christ. So apologetics matters because the Bible says it matters. It's been modeled to us by Jesus, Paul, Peter. In fact, if you read through the book of Acts, you will see examples of apologetics all over the place. In fact, I wrote a blog post on my website called Three Apologetics Strategies from the Book of Acts. And you can uh, find that on the website and just talk about the different ways they went about making the case for the truth of Christianity. And interestingly, I think we are we modern people are so conditioned to want to give our personal testimony when we share the gospel. And I don't want to downplay the importance and the power of a personal testimony. Of course, that is a great way to connect with people, to share your experience, to try to find a common, uh, just a commonality between you and the other person you're talking to. But we have to remember that our personal testimonies really aren't the gospel. You know, to tell someone, hey, I, I want to talk to you about Jesus and all that he's done for my life. I used to be, say, a drug addict, and now I'm free, and I, um, I just have so much more peace in my life, and I have this personal relationship with God now. We have to, we have to realize that everything I just said is something a Mormon could say or a Jehovah's Witness could say. 
And so it's very important that we make the case that Christianity is true, which is exactly what the apostles were doing in the book of Acts. Now, of course, they were the original eyewitnesses of Jesus's resurrection. So they were telling their eyewitness testimony, but they always brought it back to the resurrection. It was about the resurrection. You didn't see them going around the ancient world saying, hey, have you met Jesus? He loves you and has a plan for your life. Or, hey, I want to talk to you about this uh, Jesus that that loves me and um, I have this personal relationship with him and you can have a personal... They didn't. They just didn't really do it like that. They always got back to the resurrection and the truth of repentance and putting your faith and your trust in Jesus. And they did that in all kinds of creative ways. So check out that blog post for a little more on that. Another reason apologetics is important for a Christian is because unlike virtually every other belief system and religion, Christianity, at least that I can think of, is the only religion that stands or falls based on a historical event being true. And just really think about that for a second. Christianity was not started because some guy was sitting under a tree and got some kind of revelation from God and some kind of set of teachings and then found a bunch of people to follow him and spread the message. And then they got more followers and more followers. That's not how Christianity started. Think about it. Think about how Buddhism started. Think about how Islam started. All of these other belief systems started really with some kind of a uh, supernatural revelation that you can't really test in reality. You can't bring evidence that it's true or false. You can't test it because it's something that happened in someone's mind. But Christianity stands or falls based on a historical event being true. And of course, that event is the resurrection of Jesus. You know, Paul said... In 1 Corinthians 15, that if Christ has not been raised, your faith is in vain and you're still in your sins. Paul is saying that if the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, then you might as well throw your Bible out the window and do whatever you want because it's not true. If he was not raised as a real historical event, as an actual thing that happened in space and time, then Christianity is false. So Christianity could, in theory, be proved false, whereas you can't really prove Buddhism false. And and so it's really, it's testable in that sense. So apologetics is important because we're making the case for something that actually happened in reality. We're making the case for something that corresponds with what's real in the world, with what's actually true in reality. And that's kind of a big thing because you can convince someone that some life principles might work or that this particular philosophy helps you have more peace in your heart. But at the end of the day, if Christianity is true, then we have no choice if we're people who want the truth, but to to follow Jesus, whether that feels good or not. And I find this to be so freeing. Because often, you know, you'll talk to young people, young Christians who might say, I just don't feel my faith. You know, I I sit in worship and I don't feel anything. Or I, uh, you know, most of the time it just feels like it's really hard. 
And the good news is that because Christianity is objectively true, it's true whether you feel it or not. I've sat in worship services where I felt nothing and wondered if I'm even a Christian. But then we have to come back to realizing, you know what? It's so freeing to know that it really doesn't matter if I get the goosebumps during worship or not. If I have put my faith and my trust in Jesus, it's true whether I feel it or not. Isn't that good news? I think that's really good news. And I think that's good news for young people too. So that pretty much sums up my first point, that that apologetics matters because the Bible says it matters. Now, the second reason it matters is because the world itself demands that we do it. And what I mean is this, we have a new crop of atheists that are going after our kids, that are going after our college students, and they're doing it using the internet. I mean, our kids are just one click away from every skeptical argument in existence against Christianity. And often not even one click away, but it'll just come down their news feeds. And so we are living in a time where skepticism reigns, where postmodern relativism reigns, and truth matters. We can't just go on anymore saying, if you feel Jesus in your heart, you're good to go. We have to provide evidence. We have to make the case that it's true. The world demands it. We know statistically that anywhere from, depending on which statistic you look at, anywhere from 75 to 95% of our youth are leaving the church after high school. And in a study that Fuller Seminary did on teens who leave the church in college, Here's what the study concluded. This is a quote. It says, the more college students felt that they had the opportunity to express their doubt while they were in high school, the higher their levels of faith maturity and spiritual maturity. And so basically, this is just saying that kids, teens who truly were prepared to give an answer, like 1 Peter 3.15 says, they only were able to do that by being given the space and permission to wrestle honestly and personally with whatever faith questions they had. And so I think that a lot of times we can tend to just say, if our kids have some kind of deep question, or even that can sound like a skeptical question to say, well, just have faith or you shouldn't, you shouldn't question God or don't ask those things. And nothing will turn a kid or a person progressive or atheist faster than shutting down their questions. And so apologetics really matters. And I have found too, that the more I study This is an important point. The less fearful and reactive I become when skeptical claims are made. I mean, once you've heard somebody make the same claim for the 50th time, it just doesn't ruffle you as much as it did the first time. And once you've investigated that particular answer and you're satisfied in yourself that that you believe what you believe, it just causes you to have such a confidence in your faith. And so apologetics can really help with that. I think an important thing to keep in mind too, is that apologetics is not the gospel. But we are living in a time where there is just this massive explosion of information. When I was a kid, if I wanted to learn about a different worldview, I had to go to the library and check out a book, or I had to meet somebody who was a part of that worldview. But now we have social media, we have the internet, we have the ability to look up the answer to a question in seconds. And often people have intellectual obstacles 
that are clouding their vision. They're standing in front of their ability to even get to the gospel or to even see the cross. So a practical example of this would be you might have a friend that you're praying for that you want to share the gospel with, but they watched some History Channel documentary or Discovery Channel documentary, and all of a sudden they believe that Christianity is a copycat religion, that the idea of Jesus dying and rising was just a copy of ancient pagan myths. You can share the gospel to your blue in the face, or you can maybe clear that intellectual obstacle out of the way by sharing some actual information about how most of those, there's just not really any similarities when you actually read the original material. But if you can clear that obstacle out of the way so that they can take a clear look at the cross, again, it's good evangelism. And this is the thing too. If you're a Christian, you're already an apologist. Think about the definition of apologetics, making a case for what you believe to be true. If you've ever done that, if you've ever shared your faith with anyone, if you've ever shared Christianity or Jesus with anyone, you're doing, you've already done apologetics and you're doing it. Don't you want to be the best apologist you can be? Don't you want to be the best evangelist that you can be? So I want to talk about an objection to apologetics. You hear a common story that when someone tries to bring apologetics into their church or they try to share some apologetics with another Christian, often there's sort of this resistance or this tension with apologetics. And one of the Bible verses that gets trotted out uh, to sort of shut down apologetics is the one that says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And that's from 1 Corinthians 8.1. And I think this, this Bible verse is often misunderstood. And so let's take a look at it. And there's a great article on the Stand to Reason website called Never Read a Bible Verse by Greg Kokel. It's, it's an important article every Christian needs to read because it, it's exactly what it sounds like. You should never just read one verse to determine what the verse means. Many words, phrases have lots of different definitions and meanings. And when we don't look at the passages that are in front of and behind the verse we're reading, we could really miss its intended meaning. And if you've listened to our misinterpreted, misinterpreted Bible verse series, uh, you, you can see how this can happen. And so if we look at that verse right before the phrase, knowledge puffs up, Paul, this is the apostle Paul writing. He says, now about food sacrifice to idols. So the context within which we find that phrase has to do with food sacrifice to idols. So in context here, the people he were, was writing to, some of them knew that idols weren't real and others didn't know that. And they thought that eating food sacrifice to idols made it ceremonially unclean, according to Jewish law. So in context, Paul was exhorting the believers who had greater knowledge, again, knowing that the idols aren't real. He was commanding them to show love to those who had the weaker conscience. And so he was basically saying, look, just don't eat food offered to idols in front of them because he, he was saying it could stumble them. So his point was that knowledge should be exercised in love to build up other believers 
So you have this knowledge that idols aren't real. You're not going to just lord that over people and, you know, for the sake of your own pride or your own arrogance, but you're going to show love to other people who ha- maybe haven't gotten that far. And, and you're not going to stumble them by eating it in front of them. So just like you want to take a verse in all of its surrounding context, you also want to consider that verse in the light of the whole of scripture. So let's just go through some verses that talk positively about knowledge. All right. It's all through the Proverbs. So Proverbs one twenty two says, fools hate knowledge. Proverbs one five says, a wise man will hear and increase in learning and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. And it's interesting in Hosea chapter four, it talks about God's people perishing because of their lack of knowledge. Of course, this was regarding the law. Uh, another one is Second Peter two one. It tells us to add to our faith goodness, and to goodness add knowledge. In Philippians one nine, Paul prayed, he prayed that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. And then remember that verse we talked about earlier, the spiritual warfare verse. Paul is praising knowledge as a part of spiritual warfare. Demolish arguments and every uh, pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Proverbs 15, 4 says the discerning heart acquires knowledge. Proverbs 129, it warns that uh, if you hate knowledge, destruction will follow that. So over and over and over in scripture, we're commanded not just to think positively of knowledge, but to actively seek it out. And over and over, we're warned that there are consequences if we don't do that. And so knowledge is something that is biblically very important. But that verse, knowledge puffs up, is important to keep in mind because when we don't hold that intention with love, pride and arrogance can get in there. But the truth, this is the truth, and the more I've done this and as the years go by, the more I study, the more I realize how much I don't know. And it is very, very humbling. And so I would close this intro by saying that I think the most important thing to keep in mind as we walk through all of this information is that the reason we are doing this again is because the Bible commands it. It's a part of worship. It's a part of evangelism. It's a part of spiritual warfare. And ultimately the goal is to win souls to Christ. That has to be the goal. We are not here to demolish people. We are not here to destroy someone on Twitter. We're here to demolish arguments and false ideas, but we're here to save people. And I think that's really important to keep in mind as we learn all of this information. So in the upcoming episodes, we're going to walk through all the actual arguments. We're going to start with truth the nature of truth. Does truth exist? Can it be known? And then if truth exists and it can be known, then let's look at some evidence for the existence of God. And if we can conclude that some kind of a God has to exist, well, who is he? And did he reveal himself to the world? How would he reveal himself to the world? And we're going to walk through evidence for the reliability of the Bible. We're going to talk about evidence for the resurrection of Jesus and all kinds of great stuff. And I want to close this episode 
by talking about two questions, because it can be easy to feel overwhelmed with all the information. But if you will learn these two questions, this is your takeaway from this episode. If you learn these two questions, you will be able to have an intelligent conversation with anyone about what you believe, about what they believe, even if you don't know anything about their worldview. So if you meet a Muslim, but you don't know anything about Islam, if you can learn these two questions and just burn them into your brain, then you will be able to have a loving and intelligent conversation with that person. So these two questions, I got to give credit to Greg Kokel. They come from his book, Tactics, which is a fabulous book to get if you want to start learning the how part, that second piece of the pie, how to communicate this information to the world. It's a great book to get to help you do that. The goal of what we're doing is not necessarily to pull the fish in out of the lake. In other words, if, if your goal every time you talk to somebody about the gospel is to get, a, get their name signed on a card that they have made a commitment to Jesus, then you're going to have a very frustrating time as you evangelize. And I think we need to realize that in the world of evangelism, there are people who plant seeds, there are people who water seeds, and then there are people who harvest the crop. And so the conversation you have with someone might just be a, a seed planting conversation. Maybe it'll be somebody who's already had a seed planted and you're there to water that seed. But every single time, Greg Kokel talks about putting a pebble in their shoe. You just want to put a little pebble in there. And so when they walk away, it's just kind of there. They feel it and they have to keep thinking about it. And so here are the two questions. The first question is, what do you mean by that? So if somebody makes a claim, uh, let's say it's anything, like they might say, I don't believe in God because of evolution. A great question to ask, even if you don't know anything about evolution, is what do you mean by evolution? Because the word evolution just means change over time. And there are elements of change over time that even young earth creationists are going to agree with. So it's very important to define terms. And often the person you're talking with hasn't really thought about it that deeply. Maybe they just read a blog post or they just heard it somewhere and accepted it without really thinking about it. And so it's, it's a good, a good way to keep the conversation going. And so maybe the conversation will be over with the one question, what do you mean by evolution? But maybe they'll answer, maybe they they've thought about it some. And so they, they give that answer. The next question you can ask them is how do you come to that conclusion? And that's an important question too, because what you're doing is you're keeping yourself from making truth claims, from claiming that something is true. Right now, they're the ones making the claim. So all of the burden of proof is on them. And by doing this, by asking these particular questions, you're gathering more information too, so that you can respond in a way that's respectful. Because if we respond, but we don't really understand what the person is saying, that's not a respectful way to respond. The best way to respond is when you fully understand where the person is coming from. That's what I would want someone to do with me. If I was talking to them about Christianity and they were trying to prove me wrong, it would be really frustrating if they didn't really understand what I was saying or if they didn't have a grasp of the concepts I was talking about. So what do you mean by that? And how did you come to that conclusion are two questions that if you will burn them into your brain, you can have an intelligent conversation with anyone. And again, after that second question, a lot of times the conversation will be over, but let's say 
they answer how they came to that conclusion in great detail. Now you might feel stuck, like, okay, I really don't know much about evolution. What do I do? Well, at this point, this is a great opportunity to practice humility and to make a friend and make a relationship. At this point, you can say, you know, I've not really thought that much about it. I mean, just be honest. And then say, you know, hey, can we meet for coffee in a week and talk more about this? I'm going to go do some of my own research. Thank you for sharing that with me. I'm going to look into it. Let's get together in a little while and talk more about it. And I think that's a great way to do evangelism because you're making relationships, you're investing in people, you're slowly trying to demolish arguments, but not demolish people. And that's how good apologetics is done. And I believe that's the heart of God in it, in the, in the command in 1 Peter 3.15 is to do it with gentleness and respect. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can sign up to receive my posts by email by going to alisachilders.com and clicking the subscribe button, or simply subscribe to the Elisa Childers podcast on iTunes. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.